Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you would be turning to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, and we'll begin there in just a moment. As Don said, many in the world today are celebrating an exciting football game, hopefully, uh, uh, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. Um, but for most of you here, you know that we recognize today as uh, Lance Ritchie Day uh, because it was about three years ago that I stood here in this pulpit and I said, Lance taught me a lesson, I said, you have to be living under a rock to not know that it's Super Bowl Sunday. And Lance peered out from behind his rock and he said, hey, uh, I didn't had no idea today was Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and we know that Lance doesn't keep up with the news or television much and we give him a hard time about that. Uh, but I learned then that you better not assume that everybody knows what today is or what special occasion might be happening. Um, but I always will remember that when I think about uh, the Sunday that the Super Bowl falls on. We're thankful that you are here, though, and that we can be together in worship and in study. Uh, the men who have led us already have shown us why this is such a great place. We love Robert very much and his uh, feelings for this congregation and his importance to so many people here and Bob uh, Jeff and Don and all that they do for, for so many folks, we're thankful for the way that they have led us and for all of you as members here, the way that we can continue to work together. If you've not been with us on Wednesday night, you have missed out because the, the book that we've been studying has been encouraging as we think about the congregation here uh, and how we can encourage one another and work together. And the idea of this book, which is entitled Church Reset, is much more than coming here and, and being here on Sunday, although we're thankful that you're here. It's much more than just filling a space in a pew or being here just when we say the doors are open for our services, but, but being in each other's lives, uh, being a part uh, of what we have going on and how we can encourage one another, and we're just thankful for that. Uh, one more note, we will have lunch here in just a few moments before our afternoon service, which will be at 1.30. Uh, if you would like to stay, we have more than enough food that's left over from our Valentine's dinner last night. Last night we had uh, some chicken parmesan and then also what we call, many people call million dollar spaghetti. Excuse me, we do, uh, don't have any more of the chicken parmesan, but if you'd like some of that spaghetti, you can stay. Got a little bit of salad that was left over from that last night, a little bit of bread. Uh, those up here will tell you that's because I ate all the bread last night during the Valentine's dinner um, because we had some of those spices that you can put in a plate and put the oil in and dip your bread in. So it was really good. I, I did consume a lot of bread. Uh, but we have a little bit left, and I promise not to eat too much this afternoon. But we want you to stay if you would like to stay because we have plenty, uh, plenty of food, and you can hang out uh, with us and eat for a little bit. The kids will have Bible Bowl practice for just a few moments. You can join us for that if you're interested in that as well. Um, but if nothing else, we sit around and enjoy a few moments of fellowship and encouraging one another just in, in having fun together in those few minutes between our services. And we'd love for you to stay if you'd like to. I'm going to assume that you're here this morning because you, at least in part, believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in God, and you're here to learn about his word and his will for your life. As I look around the room, I don't know that we have any true visitors with us and any first-time people, but we're thankful that you're here and you've been here before because you are interested in spiritual things. But as we know, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we're never going to have struggles and it doesn't mean that we might not have problems sometimes with our lives and even living our life in such a way that we would deny other people, or excuse me, that we would deny God. When we think about the Word of God, we think about Peter sometimes, because Peter is a person who we connect with. Peter is a person that we can be familiar with and even see ourselves in him or him in us, you might say, 
because Peter denied the Lord. And if there's anyone that we might put at the top of the list that we would say would not deny Jesus, anybody who was connected that we would say had the most faith, the most trust, that, that believed and honored Jesus and would never do anything to hurt him or harm him or deny him, we would probably put Peter at the top of that list. And yet, as we're going to talk about this morning, Peter did deny Christ. And so I think it would be beneficial, and I think you would probably agree, that it would encourage us if we spent just a few moments considering this idea of what Peter went through in that moment or those moments of denial. Because if he could do it, then there's a good chance that we can or have or possibly will in the future. So how can we avoid that? You see, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, we recognize that it is just as important for us not to deny the Lord today as it was for Peter. Jesus says there in Matthew 10, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And he says there, But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This record that I ask you to turn to Mark chapter 14, this record of Peter denying Jesus is filled with suggestions that will help us to be more faithful to the Lord. And I think it is certainly worth our time to consider these things and to see if we can practice not what he did, but avoid what he did. And so we want to begin this morning by thinking a little bit about some of the circumstances of the denial of Peter. Some of the things that went into what took place here. You see, Peter had been with Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry and was close to him. Once again, if we we're going to list people that we would say were close to Christ, that would not deny him, Peter would be right there because we go back to the beginning of the accounts, the different accounts of the gospel, and we see Peter right there. And we see Peter jumping right in and being a part of things and being and interacting. Now, I'm sure the other disciples talked with Jesus. They might have said things, and he might have asked them questions and talked to them. But it's recorded for us a lot of what Peter was doing and what he was saying. In fact, Peter had expressed great confidence in Jesus. You remember Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17, even down to verse 19 where Jesus is speaking. And he's asking people, or asking, not people, excuse me, but these disciples... Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And of course, they rightfully give him some of the answers. They talk about the fact that some say that you are John the Baptist, or some say Elijah or Jeremiah, which, by the way, a small plug, we're going to talk about Jeremiah this afternoon, or even one of the prophets. But Simon Peter answered. Peter jumps in there and answered, You are the Christ. Peter answers correctly. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter says those words because he believes, because he has confidence in Jesus. But not only that, he's going to go further, and Matthew records it for us in Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35, that Peter doesn't just express confidence in Jesus, but he also says that he is willing to die for Jesus. Matthew 26, 31 through 35, Jesus, of course, predicts what we're talking about. This wasn't just an occurrence that came out of the blue, but we can read that Jesus predicted what Peter would do. And if you open to Matthew 26 there, you notice in verse 35, 
that with emphasis, with an exclamation point in our English language and English Bibles, Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And you picture the sound of Peter's voice or hear it. You picture his body language. You picture his emotion as he is basically just pleading with Jesus to understand, Lord, no, I will not. I will not deny you. I will die for you. And you might recall that in John chapter 13, the reference there, that Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. He's fixing to go give his life, and he's giving this, them this great example in John 13. And there is the occasion where John records for us that he tells Peter what exactly is going to happen. And Peter says, no, I will lay down my life for your sake. In John chapter 13 and verse number 37, Peter had said, after all this time together, not me, with his words, Notice, listen, because we're fixing to go further. With his words, Peter said, not me, I will die rather than deny. But if you turn to John 13, flip over a page or two to John chapter 18. Because while Peter did it with his words, he went far farther and did it with his sword. You see, you say, well, you know, it's all about, it's not just about your words, it's about your actions. You can't just talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. Well, guess what? Peter did, and he walked his sword right into somebody's ear to show how dedicated he was to following after Jesus. You remember the occasion in John 18, 1 through 11 there, where Jesus has been praying, and there is the betrayal and the arrest there in Gethsemane, and as they come to then take him, Peter draws his sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Yes, Peter said it. Yes, Peter did it. He didn't give his life, at least in this moment, directly, but he did go further than just talking the talk and drew his sword and walked the walk. But then we notice from Luke's account in Luke chapter 22, continuing to set the stage here, Luke 22 and verse 54, thinking about the circumstances of what's, what we're about to read, the main part of our text, in Luke twenty-two fifty-four, 54, after Jesus' arrest, Peter followed Jesus from afar. As we think about there, Luke 22 and verse 54, the New King James says that Peter followed at a distance. Is that important? We're going to come back to it at the end of the lesson. You can keep that in the back of your mind there as we think about these circumstances. I ask you at the beginning to turn to Mark chapter 14 because it's there that we think about Peter denying the Son of God. Once again, when you think about the gospel accounts, you can find it maybe in other places, and, and we read it. Uh, I appreciate Luke's account. I believe it is, as many of us do, because Luke records for us that Peter and Jesus locked eyes, right? As we talk about kids sticking their hand in the cookie jar, getting caught, you know, the mom walks back into the kitchen, and they lock eyes as they're caught, red-handed, we say, with their hand in the cookie jar. Peter's caught, and Luke records for us that Jesus looked at him. But in Mark 14, 66 through 72, we see these three times very quickly that people are coming up to him and saying, what are they saying? Well, they're saying the truth, are they not? They're saying, weren't you with him? Weren't you with them? And even though he knows he's caught, he denies. 
just as we do sometimes in our human nature when somebody tells you that you've done something and you know it's true, our inclination sometimes is to simply deny, deny, deny. And Peter does it, and he hears, Mark records for us here, he hears that rooster crow at the end of verse 68. And he hears it crow again. And he hears it crow there in verse 72 a second time. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And we see Peter's response. At that point, when he thought about it, he wept. Let me ask you to hearken back if you were with us last Sunday morning as we talked about Nicodemus and we said that as Jesus was lifted up he told Nicodemus I must the son of man must be lifted up just as Moses lifted up the serpent Nicodemus probably although it's not recalled for us or written down for us recalled what Jesus had said I wonder what Peter was thinking well we know at least in part because he wept we know in part because as he had been following from a distance he then flees and runs away, Peter denied the Son of God. If we're talking about headlines, if we're talking about important things, if the internet had been around or newspapers, that might have been top billing, right? Peter, follower of Christ, denies Jesus, follows him from a distance. What a thought. Do you wonder what the other disciples might have thought if any were standing around or, or received word or knew? They remembered what Jesus had said. Do you think they were shocked, surprised to think that Peter, of all people, was willing to go this far? Well, I think it's an important thing for us to consider. And let's consider next some things that magnify the denial of Peter. We talked about some circumstances, but let's think about things which magnify that. Some of these are passages we've already looked at. Matthew chapter 26 in particular where we notice, first of all, that Peter had received a warning. Matthew 26, there in verse 34, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter had been fully warned of what was going to take place, and yet he didn't believe it. Jesus knew. He's not speaking from guessing. He knew Peter. We're going to talk about this in just a second but they had been we, we might even say intimately involved together with things I mean multiple occasions and yet here he is denying Jesus and it's magnified because first of all we notice that he had been fully warned we notice secondly that there was a time and the time was during which the the time during which the denials were made excuse me was during the illegal unjust trials of Jesus you know it's not that this was right it's not that this was the proper legal thing to take place and Peter had to stand back and say well you know I can't get involved this we're just following the law Jesus told us we should obey the law we're going to follow the law here and that's just what it is no these are illegal they're unjust and while Jesus is up there being accused of things then Peter's nowhere to be found essentially I don't know if you've ever been accused falsely. Most of us, there's, there's not much more that will set us over the edge than if we've been accused falsely, right? We will, we will act in all kinds of ways. We'll raise our tone. We'll do all kinds of things to let people know, no, 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 this is wrong. I didn't do that. You've got the wrong person, whatever. We will do anything if we're being accused unjustly or falsely. 
And yet here Jesus is taking it. And yet here are his disciples who are not fighting, not that they should fight physically or go to battle, but they're not pushing, they're not asking, they're not nearby trying to help him. They seem to be at least in the shadows, if not even further away. And what magnifies this denial is that Jesus is suffering. Uh, Yes, he's not suffering yet as he will in a few hours on the cross, but he's being accused unjustly and yet Peter is going to deny him during this worst of times. We notice as well that one of the things that magnify or some of the things that magnify Peter's denial is that Peter had received many special expressions of the Lord's love for him. You know, in, in thinking about this, I just went back through the gospel according to Matthew. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 8 that, G, uh, excuse me, Peter's mother-in-law is healed? That Jesus goes and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. We don't get a lot when it comes to that particular occasion, just two verses, but he's involved with helping his family. Do you remember Matthew chapter 14? Who is it that walks on the water with Jesus? Yes, Jesus does it, but it's Peter who carries that special designation. What about Matthew chapter 16? We already talked about it, but Peter receives what we say and call the keys to the kingdom, right? That great statement. And Jesus bestows upon him what will become this great honor at the chance to preach the first gospel sermon there in Acts chapter 2. Based upon that great statement, don't mistake here that many people will point to Matthew 16 to say that, that Peter was the first pope. That's not what's occurring here. But yet he is receiving a great honor because he makes that great confession, that great statement. And Jesus then says, upon that statement, upon that rock, I will build my church but not only there Matthew chapter 17 do you remember the transfiguration the transfiguration of Jesus who is present there well at least one person is Peter see Peter had received many special expressions of the Lord's love for him they had been connected through all of these occasions so once again Peter's not the one at the back of the line in the distance that's just kind of always there behind Jesus no he is right beside him through these years of his ministry and then we might even say as well that the manner in which the denials were made do you think do you recall what Peter said that we said just a moment ago that when he when Jesus told him you'll deny me Peter vehemently Peter with emotion said no not me but have you ever considered that then just hours or days later that Peter uses that same emotion to deny him When you look at the accounts together or the different recordings of it, it seems like he, with great emotion, says, no, 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 not me. Just as vehemently he says, not me, and denies Jesus. The manner in which these denials were made magnify the denial that takes place. But let's think about a couple of precedents as we begin to make application to our lives. I've got a few that are not in your outline some applications for us, but I think these two are important as well as we think about some precedents of the denial. What made Peter do these things? What attitudes or thoughts did he have that we might have as well? Well, number one, self-confidence. Now, in Matthew's account in, in Matthew 26 that we've been looking at, and even the account in John 13 there we already looked at when Jesus had just washed their feet, Peter says, no, Lord, not me. We're thankful he's willing to make that statement, but it seems like maybe he's got a little too much self-confidence. Maybe it seems like he's putting his trust in himself. 
Do you remember Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Seemed like maybe Peter had a little bit of problem with self-confidence and putting in trust in himself rather than relying upon Jesus. No, I will not do it. I can do this and I will not do that. Self-confidence, too much self-confidence can be a problem. I'm not saying that we just, you know, totally just put ourselves down all the time. But yet we can become too self-confident, which sets us up for a fall, which is exactly what happened to Peter. I thought as well about Luke chapter 18 in verse number 9. In Luke chapter 18, beginning around verse 9 there, Jesus is telling the parable of two men who are praying. One the Pharisee and the other the tax collector. And Luke records for us that he, Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And notice what's connected with that if you looked there in Luke. That they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. You see, we can sometimes, if we trust in ourselves, that despising of others can be connected. And it seems that Peter, maybe, just maybe, rather than totally and wholly, completely relying upon the Lord, is having a little bit more self-confidence in himself. He's trusting in himself that he's righteous, that he won't do that, and yet we know that he's going then to fall. So one of the precedents of Peter's denial that we must avoid is that we avoid having the self-confidence that puts us too high, too far above, rather than that spirit of humility. Yes, we need to have some confidence in who we are and what we're doing. We don't simply have to always put ourselves down. But we also recognize that those who become too prideful, too self-confident, usually then will be led into a problem or a fall. We notice, secondly, maybe one of the precedents that set the stage, if you will, for Peter's denial is following from afar off. Distance can be a problem. Distance can be a problem, especially when it comes to relationships. Some of you might have been in what we deem long-distance relationships before. And, and sometimes those work for some people. And other times, the problem of being apart makes you, you feel other things or you think other things or you kind of grow apart even a little bit. And it's not always out of spite or anger or because you don't love somebody, but it's because you simply are not together as much. Maybe you text, maybe you call, but you're not making that connection. And what we see here is that distance is a problem for Peter. Imagine for just a moment, what if Peter had hung right by Jesus's side through all the trial what if he had followed him from the garden to the trial what if he had followed him from the trial to the cross and never left his side just as he hadn't through his ministry do you think Peter would have denied him then I would say probably not I know that's not what happened so we're just guessing but I would say that if Peter stuck by Jesus then there's a good chance he might not have found himself in that position do you remember Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 reminds us of our sin and the problem of distance. Do you remember there that Isaiah says, The Lord's hand is not shortened. What's that? Distance. 
The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities, my iniquities, have separated us from God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. What's the problem? The problem is distance. We're separated from God, and it's not him. It's not his fault. His hand is not too short, but it's us who put distance between us and God. And as that distance grows, it becomes easier and easier to deny him. How many times have you missed services before? And the next time, it was a little easier. And the next time, it was a little easier. And the next time, it was a little easier until you find yourself separated for a week or a month or months. That physical even distance from his body from the family makes it easier for us to then fall in James chapter 4 and verse number 8 James reminds us that if we will draw near to God he will draw near to us take that distance and shorten it be close to him stay by his side and there's a good chance that you're not going to fall you're not going to be perfect you're not going to have problems but it's why we emphasize being here with his body, with the family. Because when we begin to follow from afar, from a distance, trouble usually will follow after that. A few other applications for you very quickly here as we finish. Great prominence in the service of the Lord does not keep one free from the danger of denial. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, specifically verses 11 and 12. We can also learn from Peter that great prominence in the service of the Lord does not keep one free from the danger of denial. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse number 12. You know it. You probably could have quoted it. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, right? There's that pride. There's that being sure that we don't get too puffed up. If you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. But do you notice the therefore, right? We challenge you to notice those words. What is verse 12 there for? Go back to verse 11. All these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. What is Paul saying to those in Corinth? We don't have time to read the first nine or ten verses, but he's talking about Old Testament examples. Why do we talk about things of the past? Why is it important that we talk about Peter this morning? All those things were written as examples, therefore, that we would take heed. That if we're going to stand, we will take heed lest we fall. It doesn't matter how many years you've been here. It doesn't matter if you're the preacher. It doesn't matter if you're an elder, a deacon, a Bible class teacher. It doesn't matter what title you might wear or how many years of service you've given. You might think you have great prominence, but Peter reminds us great prominence does not keep a person from the danger of denial. We notice secondly here in just these closing applications that the tendency is for sin to repeat itself, right? I don't think that Peter walked from all three of those occasions, just bang, bang, bang. It's recorded for us that way in the Bible. We read it that way. But it could have been 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. There was definitely some time. But would you think? Because here's what we do in 2022. We look back at Peter and we say, you know what? All it would have taken would be one time for me. I mean, after the first time, I would have remembered what Jesus said. and I wouldn't have done it again. I mean, I surely wouldn't have done it three times. 
But the tendency sometimes when we get caught up in sin is for sin to repeat itself. Peter did it once, did it twice, did it three times. And we have to be careful when we get caught up in sin and separated from God that, yes, it will happen again and again until we can get back on the right track. Which brings us to the final point, which is once you fall or once you fail, as Peter did here, you don't have to stay down. We know the rest of Peter's story. We know about Acts chapter 2. We know about the epistles that were written. And we know that while Peter wept bitterly, while Peter stayed at a distance, at least for a short time, while he ran away and fled, that he didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. He comes back, even just a few pages in our Bible, to preach that first great gospel sermon, to be a part of the spreading of the gospel to all the world. And it's so wonderful to know that as bad as we feel sometimes, as guilty as we are when we deny the Lord or live our lives in sin, we do not have to stay there. If someone of great prominence can fall, we can too. If someone of great prominence can fall and can come back again, we can too. And it's with that in mind that we begin here at the end of our lesson to extend heaven's invitation. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, why not? You can be obedient to God's simple plan of salvation. You heard the word this morning. You can believe what's in it. I began by saying that I believe that everyone here is a believer of some sort, or at least to a certain level. But we can't just stop at believing. We know that even the devil and his, and his angels believe. They believe. So we can't just stop there. We must repent of our sins, change a change of mind that leads to a change of life. Confessing Jesus as Lord, even before an audience such as this, we can then be baptized. You can then be baptized for the remission of your sins. Coming in contact with the blood of Jesus, which washes away sins, allowing the Lord to add you to his church. It's the greatest of decisions that we can make here upon this earth, being in service to him. But here's the point of the lesson this morning. We have to remain faithful. We can deny just as Peter did. And maybe you're here this morning and you are afar off. There's distance between you and God. Sure, you're here. We're thankful for that. But you know there's sin in your life that's separating you, that causes you to sin again and again, to kind of stay in that rut, as we say. We're thankful for God's second law of pardon. You can come forward if you'd like to in a public fashion this morning, and one of our elders will be here to talk with you and pray for you and with you. But you can come forward and make it known in front of the family, this body of people. You can repent of your sins this morning, confess those before God, and he is faithful to forgive, and we are thankful for that. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, you can become one. If you'd like to study, we'd love to help you. If you're here this morning and you are a child of God, but you've denied him or turned away, we'd love to encourage you as well, even now as we stand together and as we sing.